All right. Well, we are picking up where we left off in chapter 11, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And last week, we talked about whether or not guys could have long hair, whether or not we could have hats, whether or not we could pray with a hat or without a hat or a veil. And we realized as we continued through that text that it had nothing to do with the head covering itself, but everything to do about obedience to the Lord, following his hierarchy, and about laying down our rights and our grace and our liberties for the benefit of others, for the other believers. And with that background, we're going to be picking up in verse 17. But before we do that, we got to build a little bit of cultural context because the Corinthians didn't meet in cathedrals. They didn't meet in church buildings. They no longer were meeting in the synagogues. They got kicked out. They were meeting from house to house, more specifically, probably Chloe's household. Uh, she's mentioned in the first few chapters there in First Corinthians. And when they gather together, be it Saturdays or Sundays, the first day of the week, the day that the Lord rose, or whether they were trying to continue to keep the Sabbath day, don't really know at that time. We know in the book of Acts, though, the Bible tells us that we're to be meeting on the first day of the week or that it was their custom, being Sunday, the day that the Lord rose. But when they did meet, they had what's called an agape feast, an agape meal. And that, that word is a word speaking of God's love for people. It's the highest love. When they did that, though, they gathered together. They got all the food. And you would think, you know, like a church potluck, like they got it all together and they got all the food and everybody got a little bit. No, not even close. You see, in that culture, when they had those feasts, most of them came from a pagan background where people would be sat in their individual class. They would be set with if you're rich or if you're poor or if you're middle class and you brought your own food and you would eat the stuff that you brought. And so they began to separate. And when they did that, they also took what's called the Lord's Supper or communion or the Eucharist, however you were raised. And we're going to talk about those things today, but I want to build that background because we're going to be talking about both the agape meal, that fellowship meal, and communion, and they are distinct. They were doing them together at the same time, and it was causing some problems. So let's go before the Lord in prayer, and then we're going to start in verses 17 through 22. Lord, we thank you for your word, that it is timeless, unchangeable, unmovable, Lord, and that it cuts to the, the bone, the marrow, the thoughts. It's a, th- a discerner of the thoughts and the intentions of the heart, Lord. We pray that you would speak to us this morning, that we would grow in you and be used by you, and that you would thoroughly equip us to go out into the world and to preach the gospel. And so we thank you in advance for the work you'll be doing this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, with that background, let's read verses 17 and 22, through 22. Now, in giving these instructions, I do not praise you, since you come together not for the better, but for the worse. For first of all, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and in part I believe it. For there must also be factions among you, that those who are approved may be recognized among you. Therefore, when you come together in one place, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating, each one takes his own supper ahead of others, and one is hungry and another is drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in, or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? 
Shall I praise you in this? I do not praise you. And so Paul says that twice here in this section. I do not praise you. You know, you can gather together in the name of Jesus. You can gather together and do religious things and not be doing it well and not be doing it right. Now, what's interesting about the Corinthians is they think they're more spiritual than other people. We saw that from chapter one all the way up until now. We're going to see that as we talk about the gifts of the spirit in the next few chapters. But as they're they're gathered together, we see that they're not doing things in order and they're not representing the Lord well. Now, the church is to gather together. But when we do, what are we supposed to do? What is it about? In Acts 2.42, the instructions are given to us as we see after Peter shares the message, the day of Pentecost comes, the Holy Spirit fills the church, thousands are saved, they start to gather together afterwards, and what happens? In Acts 2.42, it says they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in the breaking of bread and prayers. And that's what we're to do together. This is why we're gathered here to continue in the apostles' doctrine, the breaking of bread, of fellowship, and of prayers. Some people think the church is here for uh, good works. Some people think the church is here to feed the poor. Some people think the church is here to entertain or to use some Christian lingo to make our marriages better, to get healthy and wealthy and prosperous. But the Bible tells us that we're here to be seeking after the Lord, to be closer to Him. It's about representing him remember verse one of this chapter last week what do you say paul said imitate me as i imitate christ and so we're to be seeking and serving him the gathering is 100 percent pointed to him now i shared earlier the difference between the agape fellowship meal and the lord's supper he's saying you guys are in this fellowship meal and you're all eating your own stuff you're you're setting yourselves up by what rank you are the rich, super rich, regular rich, upper middle class, middle class, poor, and you're all separating yourself. And some of you are even getting drunk. Just go home. Don't even, it's not even worth you being here. And then he says, and then you take the Lord's Supper. Speaking of communion. Now, why do we use that word communion? It's found in chapter 10 of 1 Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians 10, 16, it says, the cup of blessing which we bless Is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? And that's where that word communion comes from. Fellowship with him. And we're to to do it regularly. How regularly? We're going to talk about that later. doesn't say. But as they're gathered there together, they're not seeking after the Lord. They're there for their own benefit. Remember, they were heaping for themselves their own teachers. I'm of Paul. I'm of Apollos. I'm of only Jesus. We, we saw that there were divisions and contentions, how they were wearing their hair, how they were praying, how they were exercising the gifts. And they thought they were more spiritual, but they were not seeking after the right things. How many times have we come to church and all of us in our flesh have done it once or twice, if not often, where it's like, what, what are they here? How can they bless me? You know, does this pastor know what he's talking about? Is he entertaining? Are his jokes funny? How's their children's ministry? How is their fellowship meals? How are the times? Did they line up? 
or even get down to the granular. That person that greeted me, they didn't shake my hand. They didn't shake it hard enough. Why did they look at me that way? Well, they didn't say hello to me. They didn't greet me. I didn't get a brochure. Look at this website. And we become spiritual connoisseurs. And we begin to think that we're the spiritual elite. We begin to think that we're the litmus test for what is right and what is wrong. But what is Paul emphasizing here? Not the people. The emphasis of the gathering together, the ecclesia. That's a fancy Greek word. It just means gathering of people. It could be used in a secular, meaning non-religious, or religious sense. But this gathering together of the body of Christ, we are here for Jesus, to seek after him, have communion with him, receive his words, to be instructed by him, to be conformed to his image. As Paul said, imitate me, so I imitate Christ. And then to serve others. We cannot divorce this chapter from this entire section. Every single problem the Corinthians had could be found by seeking after Jesus and serving others over yourself. And unfortunately, many times we can get it backwards. Jesus, you got 45 minutes to bless me. We'll see if you use these people or not. Otherwise, I'm going somewhere else. I'm taking my ball and I'm going home. The Bible tells us that in the first century, right after this great awakening in Jerusalem with the receiving of the Holy Spirit, as they continue to, to gather together, there in Acts 2.46, it says, And so they continuing, so continuing daily with one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. So they started eating together, fellowshipping together, seeking after the Lord, having communion, But what does Paul say about the Corinthians as they're doing this? I have nothing praiseworthy in you. He says it twice. There's nothing praiseworthy in what you're doing. Paul's ashamed of them, how they're separating by their different factions. Now, that's what they knew. It didn't come out of nowhere. That came from the pagan background. When they were worshiping their false gods, they would drink to excess. Excuse me. They would eat. They would overindulge themselves. They would have debaucherous times of joy. And, and that's all they knew. So when they started following Christ, they just took those old traditions and they added it to what they knew. Now they're receiving constru- instruction from the Lord through Paul. You guys need to stop that. Don't you know what we're doing when we have communion together? But we have to remember. I specifically have to remember that I don't bring anything to this. You know, the church doesn't need me. I praise the Lord that he'll use me because I will begin to have that mindset. Well, here at Calvary Chapel Low Country, we're the ones that are doing it right, and these other churches are doing it wrong. Once they get up to my spiritual level or our spiritual level, we're really seeking after the Lord. Well, the Corinthians, they started to have that mindset too. And we have to remember what the Lord spoke through Paul to Galatia about. In chapter 6, verse 3 of Galatians, he said, For if anyone thinks himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. When we're sitting there and we're taking communion or we're fellowshipping together, we need to be reminded, none of us really have this. Only he does. The Lord does. We're not to come around and begin to point the finger at everyone else and just bash them and think that we're at a higher level. 
No, we are the low, the least of these. We need to remember that we are nobodies and that it's 100% about the Lord. And so wherever he is, that's where we want to be. If the Lord is here and he's speaking through his word and you're being refilled with the Holy Spirit, continually being refreshed and going into the world, then by all means, let's all stay here. But if he leaves this place, if we're not preaching his name, if we're not seeking after him, it's better to close the whole thing down. Paul told the Corinthians, better for you to stay and eat at home than to do this. There's nothing praiseworthy in your assembly. And so humbly, I can say there are a few churches, a few gathering together of people. They should just shut the doors because they're not following after the Lord. But we don't say that from a high level and say, well, we're the spiritual ones. We'll teach them. No, no. The Lord will teach us and he will show us. I'm terrified of those words. Nothing praiseworthy. How did he close that? In verse 22. What do you think you do you not have houses to eat and drink or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I do not praise you. It's one thing to hear it from Paul. Can you imagine if the Lord said that to you? And so when we gather together here, we want to be seeking after him, not coming to fill ourselves. To excess, not coming for our own entertainment, our own enjoyment. We're coming to follow after the master and to help those who are seeking him as well. Breaking bread together, fellowshipping, continuing in the apostles' doctrine, and in prayers. Now, Paul is going to talk now about the Lord's Supper, Eucharist, communion, whatever background you come from, whatever um, phrase you're going to use. And we're separating this discussion now from the agape fellowship meal and talking specifically about this sacrament. We'll talk about what that is in a little bit, but let's read verses 23 through 26. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Verse 26. For as often as you eat of this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. So, For a moment now, some of you are going to be interested in this. Some of you are going to die of boredom. We're going to talk a little bit about theology, a little bit about church history, but it's very important. We all need to understand these things. The Lord commands us to do two things, two sacraments. One of them is baptism. The other is to take the Lord's Supper, to have communion through the bread and through the fruit of the vine. Now, there has been huge controversies about this throughout church history. But it says here in verse 26 that you eat this bread and you drink this cup. This is important because the Catholic Church teaches something called transubstantiation. I'm losing some of you, I can tell. 
This is a fancy word. This fancy word means they believe that the blood, the wine from the cup that's represented the blood, actually becomes literal blood. And the bread, when they take the bread, is literally the body of Christ, his flesh. That's what transubstantiation is. Now, Luther came later, and he taught what's called consubstantiation. I know, I'll bring you back in a little bit. It's okay, but you've got to learn this. This is important. Now, what is consubstantiation? Transubstantiation, they think that it's literally changing form. That's why it's so important to Catholics whether or not you can take communion or not. It's a study for a little bit later. Consubstantiation, Luther didn't want to divorce from that 100%. So he taught that even though it stays bread and wine or fruit of the vine, it's not literally the blood and the flesh of Jesus. It spiritually really becomes the blood and the flesh of Jesus. Now, in verse 26, what does it say here? The cup, the bread. doesn't change. That's what it is, but it's representation of Jesus' blood and a representation of his flesh that's given for us. It's about fellowship. It's about remembrance of what is done past, what he is doing present, and what he is doing in the future. Now, we're going to talk about what these elements are and how they're they're, uh, connected throughout Scripture, why this is important, why we should be doing things a certain way, But we had to be clear on some definitions first because some of us come from different backgrounds. This is a sacrament. We are to keep. We are to keep this ordinance. More on that in a little bit. But what about the bread? Let's start with that first. Why bread? Well, we're going to see that from Genesis to Revelation, this bread and this fruit of the cup, the fruit of the vine, excuse me, They are interconnected all the way from Genesis to Revelation. Remember in the unleavened bread of Passover? With no yeast in there. Nothing to keep it expanding. And that was a symbol of the sinless perfection of Jesus. When they took that Passover bread, they sliced it and they poked holes in it. All representation of what Christ is going to do, yet future at that time. Then when they made it into the desert, what rained down from heaven? Or they woke up every morning. To be, to be scripturally accurate, they woke up every morning and it was on the ground. But the manna that came from heaven, the Lord was providing the food every single day. Then when you go into the temple and you have the loaves, the offering there as you enter into the temple. What about the heave offering there in Leviticus, those of you that... Um, stuck through Leviticus with us on Wednesday nights, and you're like, why are we reading this? Can't we just skip one time? And all these pictures, they're all pointing to Jesus. And then finally, in John chapter 6, he tells us what all those things are about. In John chapter 6, verse 35, he says, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. Now, this is interesting because I am always hungry and thirsty for something but jesus said if i follow after him i'll never be hungry well he's talking about the spirituals that he's from everlasting to everlasting outside of time and space he is always existed from vanishing point to vanishing point god in the flesh and when i come to him he is a never-ending well that i can drink from 
the peace that surpasses all understanding. And that when I partake of communion, it is a symbol of what he has already done when he made me a new creation. I'm simply renewing, acknowledging, and admitting the work that he's already done, continuing to do, and will do. That he is the bread of life. But I'm not literally never going to be hungry again. Just like that cup and that bread are not literally turning into the flesh of Jesus. Jesus also said, I am the door. Is he literally a door? No. He's sitting at the right hand of the heavens. But he is the only way of salvation. You can only enter in through him. No one seeks, can come to the Father but by him. He is the light of the world. Is he literally light? No. But from him comes all things. He is the Logos. In, Col- in Colossians chapter 2, it says that all things were made by him and through him and continue to exist by him. And so when he says, this is my flesh, this is my body, this is my blood, and you must eat of it, our church fathers, our Christian church fathers, in some cases and in many cases, took it literally. That is a fascinating study of church history and doctrine. You are interested in that? Come talk to me later. I don't want to bore the rest of us. I get all animated and excited about it. For us, though, let's go back to this next element, the blood. Now, it's not literally blood. It is the fruit of the vine we're going to see. But that's what it represents. Now, this one, this one is super important, not more important, just we're going to emphasize it more because it's being de-emphasized in the church. And that is this thing called a blood covenant. The church doesn't want to talk about the blood of Christ anymore. They don't want to talk about being covered in the blood. You won't hear that song very much anymore, covered in the blood of Jesus, cleansed by the blood. They, they, they think that that's not 21st century. That doesn't really identify with our modern culture. Well, the problem is it's biblical from Genesis to Revelation. In fact, the entire book is talking about how important this is. The prophet Zechariah in chapter 9 prophesies this about Jesus when he says in verses 10 and 11, I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the horse from Jerusalem. The battle bow shall be cut off. He shall speak peace to the nations. His dominion shall be from sea to sea. And from the river to the ends of the earth, as for you also, speaking of the Messiah, because of the blood of your covenant, I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. The blood covenant. Where did Adam and Eve come from? God breathed life into the dirt and out came Adam and Eve came out of her, out of him, excuse me. And so then they sinned in the garden, they fell. And what happened there? Where did they get their clothes? The Lord sacrificed animals and covered them in leather. Already, sin has brought death into the world. The sacrifice is being taken of, partaken of, excuse me. I can't speak second service. I don't know what's going on. I didn't eat enough donuts this morning. See, somebody was here a couple weeks ago, just one. What does the Bible tell us? The life is in the blood. And then what does the Bible tell us? Without the shedding of blood, there can be no remission of sin. You know, the nation of Israel today, they have a, a day called Yom Kippur where they're just sad for a day and they fast. But without the shedding of blood, there can be no remission of sins. We know it's because it comes through Jesus Christ, his 
only sacrifice once and for all for all of us. What about when they were in Egypt and the angel of death was coming over? What did they put on the doorposts? The blood. And those images on the doorposts look like crosses. What was sprinkled on the altar, whether it was a tabernacle or the temple? It was the blood of the sacrifice to cleanse it. All the way to Revelation chapter 12, when the tribulation saints are there in the throne room of God. And John, he's recording what he sees. What did they say? And they conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they loved not their lives even unto death. Beautiful. Revelation chapter 12, if you're writing that one down. All those things are pointing to Jesus from Genesis to Revelation when he says in Mark 14, 24, this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many. That when he gave his life as a ransom for many, we are saved once and for all because we're saved by faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. And so when we take communion, we're not earning more salvation. We're simply receiving what he has already prophesied and has completed, and has done, and continuing to do. But the Corinthians, going back to that sad lot, they were making a debauchery of the whole thing. They weren't looking at the covenants. They weren't looking at the elements. They weren't looking at the Lord's Supper. They were having their individual divisions, their party. They were getting drunk. They were eating to excess. It was all about them. And Paul says, "This, this is a shame. I'm not praising you guys for any of this. Go home. Just go home instead. And we need to remind ourselves that we are nothing special. That we may at times think that we're some kind of spiritual elite. That we know better than everyone else. We do church better than everyone else. Well, what did Paul tell the Corinthians all the way back in chapter 1 when he started this book? I'll remind you, verse 27 through 28. He said, but God has chosen the foolish things of this world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised God has chosen, the things which are not, to bring to nothing the things that are. Why was it important to tell the Corinthians that? Because they were exalting the rich. There they were, they were eating in the agape feast, the most food, because that's what they brought. But they had poor brothers and slaves that didn't have anything. It was like, oh, yeah, well, when the Lord blesses you, then you'll get what you get. They were going out of their way to take care of the freeborn and not blessing the rest of the fellowship. And then when they took the Lord's Supper, they took it irreverently. What are we to do? We are to do what it says here at the end of verse 26, proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. That's what we're to exalt. Not people, not what kind of people come here, how many people come here, how educated they are, what their backgrounds are. Are there any popular people? Are there any movie stars that come here? Not many noble, not many wise are called. He uses the foolish things of this world. Remember how Paul started this chapter, imitate me as I imitate Christ. We are all to be seeking after him. This is 100% about him. It's not about us. Him being Jesus Christ. Wherever he is, that's where we want to be. And we want to be seeking him first, not our own. 
Well, now in verses 27 through 29, Paul's going to continue. He's going to lay some heavy things, and he says, Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Verse 29. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. Well, we're going to see in a little bit, in the next few verses, that people were dying. People were getting sick because they were uh, not treating the Lord's Supper, the Eucharist, the communion, with reverence. Now, that is a unique period in time because if that were true, people would be getting zapped all over the place here. Just like Ananias and Sapphira in the book of Acts, they lied to the Holy Spirit. God struck them dead. If any time any one of us lied to the Holy Spirit or lied in a falsehood or misrepresented the Lord, we got zapped, this church would be empty because we're all sinners who have fallen short. But the Lord was doing a unique thing there. Now, he is showing us some principles here. The Lord loves those who he chastens. And he will chasten you. You can't get away with it forever if you're truly following him. Now, what does this mean to me in the 21st century as a pastor? What does it mean to us? There are those in other churches that will teach that if you take communion and you haven't had your classes, you haven't had your special, your baptism, you haven't had your rites and ordinances and all your uh, blessings from certain people, that you're in a lot of trouble. That's not what's being said here. When we say that you are drinking damnation if you don't drink it in a worthy manner, they're not saying you need to be worthy to take that cup. Because who is worthy? Who can carry the cup? Who can eat that bread in a worthy? None of us. We need to eat it in a worthy manner, not be worthy. So what is he talking about here? For me, when we are passing out communion to partake of it together, I will always make sure that there is an offer of salvation. I will tell people, if you have not received Jesus Christ, your personal Lord and Savior, take it, receive that before you take this communion. Because when you take that cup and you're a non-believer, and you drink that, you drink that cup, you eat that bread as a non-believer, you are saying, I understand that salvation comes through Jesus Christ. I understand the gospel, and, <coughs> excuse me, and I'm refusing to acknowledge it. I'm just going to take this stuff so that I'm not singled out. You are rejecting the Holy Spirit. You're rejecting God. Now, if you did that, you went to some mass as a kid. They brought you there. You took the stuff. You didn't understand what you were doing. And now you're a believer. Don't worry. Accept Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, right now. The only sin that cannot be forgiven is rejecting Jesus Christ. That's it. But for those people that take it willfully and willfully, rejecting Christ, you have drunk your own damnation in that you have rejected the only way of salvation. You can't say like we would for the, the hypothetical, oh, the tribe that's in Indonesia that's never heard the gospel and he dies, what happens to them? Now, when you take that bread and that cup, you have fully acknowledged that you have received the gospel and rejected it. Now, that is like the, the slightest, smallest minority of people that would do that. But as a pastor, I want to make sure, hey, just accept Jesus Christ right before you take it and then take it. 
Which leads us to another question before we continue. Who can give out communion? Can you have communion in your home? Can you have it in your Bible study? Who can give that out? Anyone. We're a kingdom of priests. We've all been saved. We're all in Jesus Christ's robes of righteousness. None of us is more spiritually elite than another because we're all covered in what? The blood of our Lord Jesus. None of us are worthy to take communion. But what is another spiritual principle here? Because there are those that will gather together in the name of the Lord. They'll be seeking after their own. They'll be living in the flesh. They will be abusing their liberty because all things are lawful for us. You can't get away with it if you're following after the Lord. If you're truly seeking after him, he will correct you. He will discipline you and he will change you, just like he was to the Corinthian church. <coughs> In Hebrews 12, verses 5 through 7, it says, Have you forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as sons? My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? For me personally, I need to be as close to the Lord as possible at all times. When you're close enough to him, you receive more chastening, but you can see it earlier. You can see in his eyes, oh, this displeases him. Oh, he doesn't enjoy that. I'm going to avoid that. I don't want to do that anymore. Oh, where is he at? Oh, is he at this fellowship? Is he speaking the word of God here? Is the Holy Spirit here? I want to be there. And the moment I begin to drift and start seeking my own, that's the connection. I'm not seeking after the benefit of others. I'm not trying to follow after him. I'm not trying to be obedient to him. I'm saying, what can you give me? Now, he'll leave the 99 and go after the one. But the more I stay away from him, the worse it is. For some of us, that could just be uh, your thought life. That could be uh, questioning your salvation. That could be a struggle with an addiction. That can be um, what a fancy word. It's called your countenance. Your countenance you know, is like your well-being. Like when you go home and your spouse is like, what's wrong with you? What? There's nothing wrong with me. And you can see it all over your face. And in the way you react, immediately, you know, something's up. If you stay close to the Lord and you're seeking after him, he will chasten you and correct you. Sometimes he just will let you be uneasy. Sometimes he'll just let your sins find you out. Sometimes he'll just give you that emptiness where you just know I need to be refilled. Embrace that. Follow after him. Be seeking after him. Too many have been going to church for communion, but really they haven't been seeking after the Lord at all. And the Lord is telling us here, using the Corinthians as an example, hey, don't despise the chastening of the Lord. That's what we want. Because what? We want to be praiseworthy. Paul said to the Corinthians, nothing you're doing right now is praiseworthy. I want to be praised, but I want to be praised by the Lord. Is this... Is he happy with me as a pastor, as a Bible teacher? Is he pleased with me as a husband, as a co-worker, as a brother in the Lord? Is he pleased with me in my relationship with him and in my prayers? That's what we should be seeking for, not our own. The Corinthians were seeking after themselves. Bless me, feed me, entertain me, exalt me. 
Paul's saying, just go back to your house. Go, go back to your house if you want to do that. Don't be bringing that to the fellowship. And so I, I hinted at it earlier. Let's read verses 30 through 34 and see what it was doing to that fellowship. It says, for this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. That means they died. For if we judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord, that we may not be condemned with the world. Therefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. But if anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, lest you come together for judgment. And the rest I will set in order when I come. Spiritually, sometimes we're spiritually weak. We're spiritually sick because we're just not spending time communing with the Lord. When we take communion together, it is a simply a symbol and a token, but one to be done reverently as we remember his death, his, resur- his burial, and his resurrection. That he took our sins upon himself. Then we look into our lives currently, and we see what he's doing in us now, fellowship with him now, giving thanks for the work he's doing in us. How does he want to change us? How does he want to work in us? And then, the last one, my personal favorite, we look to the future because it says until he come in this section and he is coming. I was back in verse 26. The Lord's death until he comes. And so we also look to the future and what is coming in the future. You know that you're going to take communion with him personally. You're going to look in his eyes as you take that communion once again. In fact, Jesus told the disciples that at the last Passover, the last supper. He said in Matthew 26, 29, but I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. At the marriage supper of the Lamb, it's called. We'll all be seated there. I'll be there. You'll be there if you call upon the name of the Lord Jesus. We'll all be seated together when he takes his church home, his bride home. And we'll be eating this agape meal, this fellowship meal, this marriage supper of the Lamb. And will he be pleased with you? Will there be things that he'll be like, hey, I see Susie over there. I see John. Have them come over here. Have them come over here. Or will you just be thankful that you made it to the table as all those things are revealed? The Bible tells us in the book of Proverbs Don't go and sit at the head of the table lest the master calls you down to sit at the lowest level. But sit at the lowest level, and if the master calls you up to sit at the highest, you'll be exalted. And I wonder, I doubt it. It's just how my mind works, though. Will there be some chairs moving? Will there be some people we think will be close to the Lord when we eat this together, this communion? And the Lord will be like pushing past them those big names, those people you thought, they're the real spiritual ones. And who's he goes he find? Pastor Chuck would share this all the time. He said that there would be the maid that worked at the hotel cleaning the sheets who constantly was praying for that ministry, constantly praying and seeking after the Lord and just being faithful in what she was doing, and that the Lord would call her up to the front for the faithfulness. The same thing is true of us. At that marriage supper of the Lamb, when it says, when he's writing to John, Right, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true sayings of God. Revelation 19. When we're there in the presence of the King, 
Will you act like you've been there before? Have you had fellowship with him? Do you know him? Do you spend time with him? Do you talk with him? Remember, the word of God is the revealer of the thoughts and the intentions of our heart. How does a young man cleanse his ways? By taking heed there until his word. And Jesus said, I am the word. And so as we spend time in his word, we spend time in fellowship, the breaking of bread and of prayers, and we follow after him wherever he goes, that's where we want to be. He will continue to conform us into his image and to change us as we seek to please him. Or are you simply seeking to please yourself? You become a spiritual connoisseur, a Corinthian, thinking that you're spiritual, thinking that you're the one that's going to show everyone how to do it, when really we need to remember not many wise, not many noble are called. And take heed lest you fall, like it says in Galatians. For me, I just want to hear him say, Well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into the grace of our Lord. Just to hear those praises, to hear those words, it's something to live a lifetime for. Let's pray. Lord, we, we do want to follow you. We want to follow your ordinances. We want to follow your sacraments. We want to grow in you and be used by you. If you discipline us and chasten us, we welcome it, Lord. We want to please you in all things. Help us to be seekers of your name, to be truly Christians. Help to reveal in us, Lord, what's real and what's not. And have your way in us. And I pray, Lord, that we would be well-pleasing in your sight. We thank you for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you need prayer, Come on up. We'd love to pray with you. If you need to accept Jesus Christ,